Bridget, let's let's circle back on your opening shift last because I think it ties into some of the ups. So Scott, we'll jump back to yours, and that's Martian and Coil. Yeah, it like I kind of mentioned, like it it feels like it should work, and it might at some point. You know, we've seen plenty of instances of guys who don't have chemistry, things aren't really clicking, and eventually they get it. So I'm not saying like never put Martian and Coil together the rest of the season. I think you can keep trying. Like as long as you're winning, as long as other lines are producing, you you can keep trying it. Um, you can go back to it. We know Montgomery is going to change lines every period and a half anyways. Um, but yeah, for right now though, it's, it, it really is kind of odd. Like how, how little that combination has worked because it's like, you would think playing with Marshan would be better for you than having Van Riemsdyk on your left. And that's no knock on Van Riemsdyk who's obviously having a you know really good season, but Marshan's a better player. You would think, that should work better. And yet it's just not like sometimes chemistry is just a funny thing. Sometimes you kind of either just have it or you don't. And um, right now I just don't think Martian and coil had like Martian was on fire and then you put him with coil and like, he has a very quiet game and it's, you know, coil we've seen playing well. He, his line scored a goal in Saturday's game when he was, I think he was with Van Reems, like and Frederick. And then you put Martian in there and it's like, the line just doesn't work as well. So, um, yeah, I, I would make I would put JVR back on that line and give Marshan Patra Heinen or if Zaka's back and you wanted to do like Marshan Patra geeky, um, I do want to see a longer look of Marshan Patra together. Can I? Uh, oh well, this kind of goes a little bit against what you said, but can I throw some lines out there? Um, sure. So, DeBrusque. Patra Pasta. Um, back to the normal line of JVR, Coil, Frederick, Marshawn, Geeky, Heinen, and then the normal fourth line. Do we think Marshawn, Geeky, Heinen could be a line? Because Geeky had a good game. Um, he can make plays. Heinen's been working really hard. Um, do we think that that could potentially be something? Cause he, cause Montgomery did go to DeBrusque Patra pasta in the second period at one point, which could, could have some success. I don't know what you guys think of those. Well, I think, um, so and we'll get to geeky. And I, I loved his game last night and I loved his work ethic. I feel like Marshand needs somebody who thinks the game offensively at his level. And I don't think that's necessarily Geeky, and I don't think it's Coil, and I think it can be Zaka. I'm not going to lie, though. I saw Geeky making some plays, like intelligent, creative plays that I just did mm -hmm. not think he could. Or just we didn't know that about him. And all of a sudden, yeah. I'm I'm noticing he made that like a no-look backhand pass exactly to the right spot. And he and he was trying things that a lot of people wouldn't, I don't know, like wouldn't know know to do or like it kind of felt like he was playing chess a little bit like, oh, I'm going to outsmart someone at different points. So I think maybe we just don't know that about him. He could be that kind of player. Well, are you talking for a, for a long are you talking long term or short term? I'm just talking about try it while Zach is out. OK, then if that's the case, then sure. You know what I mean? Like I, like I said last episode, like when you're when you're down bodies, like whatever it takes to kind of, you know, make do and see what you have. Right. Um Okay, so if you're talking while Zaka's out, then I yeah, sure. I don't 
I can see I could see a world where I can see that go for a couple of games. Scott, I'll let you chime in there as well. Yeah, I think I would probably just keep Debrusky keep Pasternak together. Like that worked really well, and I kind of just wouldn't mess with that. Um, you know, I was looking at like how Martian has been with sort of each of the top three centers. Um, not so much geeky because I don't I don't know if Geeky's really centered aligned with Martian yet. Maybe maybe in spurts here and there, but like I, so I went over, you know, Martian and Coil not really clicking. Martian with Zaka wasn't really great either. Um Zaka's actually been better away from Martian with someone else um on his left. Martian and Patra is an interesting one. Like just looking at some of the numbers, it's it's only been 50 minutes. But like Bruins are out shooting opponents 31 to 23. Expected goals 61%, which is really good. The only thing that's off is actual goals. The Bruins are getting outscored three to one. So I do think that's maybe part of the reason why Montgomery has been hesitant to go to it is they've kind of had a habit of giving up some goals once they've gotten together. But the underlying numbers are encouraging. And so I look at that and I'm like, I don't know. It just seems worth taking a longer look. Like it's really, really only been like, you know, the one game against San Jose where they had a whole game together and they were good. And then Montgomery went away from, for matchup reasons, but he's stayed away from it. So um, I would, like I said, like, that's what I would want to try just to see if there's something there and something that can stick maybe a little longer term. Wasn't that the post-game press conference, too, that we were at, Scott, that he highly complimented that line? Yeah. He mm-hmm. said that was a good line, and he said, like, the Zaka line that they had from that day was, like, good in spurts. But he was very complimentary of that line, more so than we've seen him be in post-game press conferences because <laughs> we know he likes to tinker. Um, when someone asked him about it and he gave that answer, it kind of sounded like he was ready to settle on that just at least for a a longer trial, but then it didn't happen. Yeah, I, I mean, when Zaka comes back, I definitely am um, on, on on the same page as Scott. I want I want to see Patra go with with Marshan when when Zaka's back, um, and just on on Marshan in general, it's it's very evident to me that he's and look, this is not a surprise at all. Expected this would be surprised if this wasn't the case. But in losing Patrice Bergeron, you have to start the season at least. You've lost a little bit of Brad Marchand. Um, I know he's still producing. He's got like 25 points in 27 games, and that's obviously good for second on the team. And I'm not you're not gonna hear me sit here and 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 put him down for you know not being you know over a point per game guy, like and just being south of it. It's no, it's not a big deal. But just watching him. Uh, at even strength, shift in and shift out. You can just tell that. I mean, they, 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 when I, when I said it earlier, like you kind of want somebody who thinks the game on Martian's level, like, I mean, Bergeron and Martian were so in sync for over a decade um, that it just seems to me he's, he's a little bit lost out there without his running mate. And that's something that obviously he's going to have to get over and, uh, and work, work his way out of. I guess the question, the million dollar question is do the Bruins currently have, a center that can run with Marchand, not even necessarily to the level that Bergeron did, but clearly it's not Coyle. 
Zaka remains to be seen in Patras Young. So if it's not one of those three guys, can the Bruins afford, if the Bruins are all in this year, right, which management always wants them to be, um, can you afford Brad Mar- to not have somebody playing alongside Brad Martian? I guess the best out of Brad Martian. And uh, I just think in the first quarter of the season, it's 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 obvious that he's he's a little stuck in the mud trying to find chemistry with other people and not his uh not his uh, his best man there. So I don't know if you guys have obviously picked up on that as well and what you think. You know, if, do the Bruins have the the um, solution internally? Maybe maybe with Patra or Zaka. I don't know. It's been such a small sample size, but so far uh, it hasn't been obvious for one of them. Yeah, and that's where I think like it's worth. I guess maybe two things could could be worth. Like one, as I mentioned with Padra, seeing if that can turn into something, or you put him with Zaka and Pasternak, and even though that that line's been inconsistent at times, you hope that they're three smart, talented players that can figure it out. Because look, obviously we know Marsha and Pasternak had incredible chemistry for years. They've been on different lines for, you know, really the last two seasons before this one. And when they've been together this year, we haven't really seen that chemistry come back naturally. It hasn't, obviously with a different center, that makes, you know, that's a big difference. So um, I would also be okay with that, like giving them more time and just seeing if they can work through it and figure it out because they're three players that are good enough that, you would think they should be able to. Um, but yeah, so, I, you know, I guess to bring it back to my take, like the, the one thing I do feel kind of strongly about right now is like Martian coil isn't working and I'd just rather see Martian uh, somewhere else. Okay. Um, do you want to get to our normal Friday segment of who's up, who's down? Cause this ties right back into my opening shift, um, if you don't mind, I will start it out. Um, so we all agreed that Morgan Geeky was a big time up this week um, for a lot of the things we kind of already went over just in the course of talking about the game. Uh, he stepped up as a top line center uh, <laughs> and we've talked about it in the past. He was maybe brought in for a th- third or fourth line center role. Probably didn't see himself playing on a top line. Um would Pasternak at any point, but here he is. Um, he did it and he proved that he could, uh, with both his hustle, his, and he's a big guy too. Like he's strong. He, you're not bumping him off the puck easy. So he brings that element too. Uh, so, so he, he did have a skill set that worked on that top line in terms of possession. He's great at either maintaining possession or getting back possession, um, if the Bruins don't have the puck. So I thought that he was an up. Uh, and I just want to hear, you don't have to go long on it, but what do you guys think? Well, I think that, yeah, you mentioned it, Bridget. He uh, He's a big body and he doesn't get knocked off the puck. And, and it's not simply because he's a big body. It's because he also has the, you know, the, the grit and the, and the effort to go along with it. There's plenty of big guys out there that, you know, people will label soft and, you know, aren't strong in the puck. He is, uh, and he battles. And I think one of the, one of the good things about Morgan geeky, and he's grown on me with, with each and every game. But what I like about him 
is that he knows that he has things to work on. He's not a perfect player and he, and he, and he knows where he has to improve. And I think in the off season, he made a comment about how he thinks his skating is an area where he needs to improve his, his quickness. And, and while he's still not the quickest guy out there, I just think that, okay, he's probably saying to himself, I might not be the fastest guy in the world or the quickest guy in the world. So where do I need to be? Do I need to excel to compensate for that? And I think it's his puck protection and his, and his work ethic. And, you know, last night's goal is just like he's not letting anybody take that puck away from him. He's it's a 50-50 battle. He's taking it. He 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 gets inside ice, he gets to the crease, he gets to the areas where you have to score goals, and he scores a goal. Um, and coming into Boston, I think there was some I forget now because it's been it's been like four months, but there was some underlying analytics that said like um he was basically like among the top players in the league and maybe it was like points per 60 or something like that. Or where like when he's given opportunity, um, he creates, uh, so, but he, in Seattle, he was playing a lot on the fourth line. Um, but where he gets opportunity up in the lineup, maybe he kind of just plays up to his competition a little bit. And if that's the case, maybe the same thing's true in Boston, where if he's on the fourth line with Jacob Loco and Oscar Steen or Johnny Beecher, maybe he's not, going to produce as much as if he's playing up in the lineup with David Pashnak. most obvious statement in the world. I know, but somebody we'll get to pretty soon. Hasn't been doing that. So maybe not so obvious. Um, but I guess the, the moral of the story is maybe not every player would take advantage of that opportunity. And, and so far he has, and I really enjoyed his game because you can tell he's working hard and that's, that's very important. Yeah. And the role he was playing in Seattle was interesting too, because it wasn't just, a fourth line role in fourth line minutes. It was also, they used their fourth line in like more offensive situations, which is, you know, the opposite of what the Bruins do, where it's a lot of like D zone starts. And, you know, you have to be able to play defense if you're going to be on the Bruins fourth line. And um, I think Geeky's defensive work has been pretty strong this year too. Like they've demanded more from him, especially when he plays center. Um, we know the Bruins system is, demanding defensively of centers. And I think he's held up his end of the bargain there too. And yeah, it's, I'm sure it's going to feel great for him to a, to move up and play with Pasenak, obviously, but B to put up a couple points in the last two games and a goal on Wednesday. Um, because the, the points haven't really been there for him. You know, that's his third goal of the season. And again, part of that is like, he was low in the lineup. He missed a little bit of time with injury. And when he came back, basically like Danton Heinen was the one who passed him on the depth chart. And that's why Geeky comes back and he's a fourth line winger. Um, so, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know where he settles in long-term. I, I, you know, I, I'm still not sure if we've found like exactly the best fit for him on in this lineup, but it's good for him to, to move up, to, to show that he can do it, to, you know, see the puck go in. And it's good for the Bruins to know that he can do that. That was part of, you know, it's part of the reason why that guy was on board with putting him there for a game with Zaka out, because you want to know, you want to know what he does with that opportunity. And, um, you know, I don't think anyone expects him to be their number one center um, going forward, but can he do it in a pinch? And, you know, they're learning that, yeah, he can. 
All right. So, Bridget, any final takeaways on Geeky before we had knock off a couple of other p- players that we think are, are ups right now? No, I think we covered it pretty well. Okay. Um, Ian Mitchell. Scott, you high on Ian Mitchell right now? Yeah, I think he's I think he's played well. Um, stepping up with McAvoy out, he's taken on a, a top four role, not just on the depth chart in terms of how the pairings are listed, but in terms of minutes. Um, he's been getting you know 18, 19 minutes a game the last couple, uh, a- averaging nineteen minutes a game over the last two games. So, you know, and I think he's played well. He was on the ice for four of the Bruins goals on Saturday. Thought he had another pretty good game on Wednesday. Um, again, another guy where it's like, do I expect Ian Mitchell to stick in the top four going forward? No, definitely not. But you're learning that he can do it in a pinch. And he's had a lot of time next to first Tampus Lindholm. And then last night, more so Matt Grizzlick. Um, and I, I just think, I think he's playing well. I think he's moving Moving the puck quickly. I think he's been involved in transition. Um, maybe not like as involved in the offensive zone as we saw in the preseason. I remember a couple of preseason games where it was just like he was just firing away from all over the place. I think we've seen him a little more restrained playing under control, but that that's not a bad thing. Like you don't – yes, the Bruins need more offense from the defenseman, but you don't need Ian Mitchell, you know, taking crazy chances up ice. Like if he just plays responsibly, you'll take that. And I think he's done that these last couple games. You know, um, one, we haven't gotten to downs yet, but we haven't, I don't think we've mentioned this uh, thus far in the episode, but Jacob Zabora was waived, um, which is I think new since we last recorded. So and I think he's probably a, uh, a down, but though it sounds like he requested it and the Bruins adhered to it. So, um, but I bring him up because Ian Mitchell clearly surpassed him um, to start the year in the depth chart. Um, yeah. I, I, I like Ian Mitchell. Um, bit of a riverboat gambler, kind of like reminds me of Connor Clifton at times where he's, you know, he kind of takes some risks. Um, but like, I like his effort. I like his compete. And uh, for a depth defenseman, you know, there's only so much you can really pick apart at, at his game. Bridget, what do you think? Yeah, I know. I thought he had another good game since he's gotten, I mentioned him as the second call up because Lori was the first and it kind of seems like he's really fighting to be that, that number one guy there. So when Carlo, I mean, Carlo, when Forbert comes back or McAvoy comes back, he wants to be the one that sticks around. Um, and I think he's making a good case for himself offensively. Yes. And then I know you guys have opinions about how Grizzlick's played, but um, he like, Scott mentioned he was with Grizzlick last game potentially could be a really good offensive pair. If Grizzlick is playing, you know, the way that we've seen him in the past. Yeah, definitely a lot to talk about with Grizzlick as well. Uh, I think we have one final up and that is, that is Matt Patra. Obviously he has been the focal point of, of, of discussions in the last week plus with um, you know, kind of beginning with with Montgomery's scratching of him, and then obviously you know the benching in the third period against um, Arizona, he didn't see much ice time in the third period against Toronto. Blah blah blah. Uh, so you know it's been kind of a circus the last week around around him. Uh, and I'm sure he's been hearing it and being asked about it. But I think that 
I think that in New Jersey, uh, while he didn't really uh, produce on the score sheet, I think he bounced back pretty well. And I, I know we all here uh, feel the same way. Yeah, he was, he was making some good things happen. And I think that that whole line with uh, Van Riemsdyk and Heinen had a pretty strong game. Um, you know, Patra helped create some chances. We saw him, you know, holding on to the puck more in the O-zone, uh, making plays. And, you know, more importantly, like not making mistakes defensively, like having sort of more awareness when he had the puck in a stick in the D zone, making sure he moves it quickly, um, you know, not risking turnovers. It, I was obviously, you know, they go to the, they go to the third period leading one, nothing. And I think we all probably think like, okay, let's see how much Potra plays. And one of his first shifts of the third period, the Bruins get scored on. The Devils tie up the game. Now, not Padres' fault at all. It was like it was kind of a wacky goal, honestly, where you get uh, a shot tipped in front, it goes over the net, kind of ends up getting kicked back to the front. Paula hits the post, and then Dawson Mercer just knocks it in out of midair. Like, not sure there's really much Padre or honestly anyone else could have done on that one. Um, you know, sometimes the other team just gets a couple lucky bounces. Um, well, they had then, another then, lucky then, bounce first off the crossbar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, then it's a tie game and, you know, good on Montgomery for like not benching Padre or anything like that. Like obviously at that point you need him out there to help you to try to win the game. Um, and I thought that line had a, at least one really good shift after that, that I remember where yeah, Heinen I'm, had a couple chances and, and then Ben Reeves, like had a chance, um, you know, and potentially could have won the game in regulation. Yeah. I, I, I marked that as with seven minutes left um, that that line went out there and I think Potra had, he swung and missed on the first shot, but he was low slot. Got, he took like a, a, the puck bounced off one of the defensemen right to him, whiffed on the first one, got the second one off. I think that was his only shot on goal technically of the game. Um, but the puck was right there, and those guys won a lot of battles on that shift. So the, I remember that shift too, that that looked like that could have been the go-ahead goal. Um, with that, it was close to the net. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I noticed that. <laughs> in overtime, though, I, the whole team looked bad in overtime. I'll just – Put it like that. Um, yeah, I I thought that maybe Potra didn't have the best overtime, um, but nobody did. That was a really ugly overtime. If you're watching the Bruins, yeah, I'll I'll put as a, a connected thought. Bruins overtime play in general as as a down like so clearly in overtime in three on three possession is the name of the game. And the Bruins win the opening faceoff. Johnny Beach is out there to take it, which usually it's Pavel Zaka, but he's out. So Beecher takes and wins the opening draw, then immediately gets off the ice. And Pasternak and Martian both had plays where they like skated into traffic and were just like way over aggressive for what you need to be in three on three, where it's like, God, like you don't have to try to take guys one on one in three on three overtime. Like, circle back and set something up and 
both times it was like the Bruins had possession for less than 15 seconds and then gave it back and, and ended up not even getting a shot on goal in overtime. New Jersey had, had six in overtime and scores in the sixth one. Yeah. And, and those were two zone entries that they were trying to beat guys one-on-one. And then we talked about how come they have, they've had to defend so much on the rush. It's because they turned pucks over at the offensive blue line. And then you watch both of them walk right into um, just strong defensive plays and, and not be able to beat those guys. And it felt like that was the tone set from the very first shift. Uh, and everything just was hectic after that. I know Patra ended up in the net underneath Swayman at one point. <laughs> um, and I don't know if you saw it, but Swayman, when they got the whistle, uh, thought it was funny. He was laughing, but it was just kind of, I guess that kind of just visually shows how chaotic it was out there for the Bruins in overtime where the wow. bodies were flying. Nobody was really where they should have been. It was, it was not pretty. Well, it was so all over the place that uh, Hampus Lindholm almost ended up in the stands when Jesper Brat pulled up on him. I mean, put him in a blender. It's like, hey, Hampus, relax, buddy. You're 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 a player, not a not a fan. Stay on the ice. But yeah, I mean, if unless the Bruins are playing Toronto, who just refuses to back check on three on three, um, hasn't been hasn't been the greatest uh, area for this team this year so far. Yeah, and I know like that. That play ends up looking really bad for Lindholm because of how far off he, he ends up. I guess my only point would be like Jesper Brad is is extremely good and is coming at him full speed. And it's still, even with Lindholm not being able to keep the gap up, you still escape trouble if either one of Marshan or Pasternak mm. picks up Jack Hughes. Like he, Jack mm-hmm. Hughes just finds a soft spot right between those two. And it's like they're both in the neighborhood and neither one even gets a stick within like two feet of them. Yeah. yeah. My, my note on that was it looked like Marshawn probably could have closed on them. And um, yeah. I mean, it definitely looked like Lindholm got a late read on Brat's zone entry. Lindholm seemed like he was flat footed too long there, but regardless, uh, you know, that was one of those plays where he could have perfect gap control, play him tight. Anytime a, pl- a forward pulls up like that, they're going to gain separation, immediate separation, right? Um, that's a play that I think I, to be fair to Lindholm, and I think this is kind of what you're saying, Scott. That's going to happen regardless, no matter how he plays that play. Uh, that was on that was on the other coverage elsewhere on the ice. I think that play broke down. 